The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Second sermon, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judea to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Geber. And Huza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibe, accompanying the ark of God and Ahoy went before the ark. And David and all the hours of Israel played before the Lord on all the men of instruments made of fir, wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nekon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it for the auction, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him, smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Good morning. It's December, time for Christmas messages, so I thought I would talk about the ark of God and spiritual shortcuts. You're like, what does it have to do with Christmas? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with Christmas, but more about how we prepare our hearts for Christmas and for the season. How many of you are familiar with that object in the corner? What is this object in the video, in the screen there? It's the ark. So Noah got in that, and they put two of every animal right in that. And that, is, that is that the right one? No. I, I remember the first time I heard about this, I was like, whoa, I'm totally messed up here. Wait, it's a joke about Moses in the ark, but there's Moses in an ark, and there's Noah in an ark, and Noah puts animals in the ark, and Moses has an ark that, that four men can carry. And I was like really confused. Today we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I actually, um, there's, the Ark of the Covenant was built by Moses under his direction, given by direction from God the very second year they came out of, it, of Egypt. When they crossed the Red Sea, they made their way to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai is where they got the Ten Commandments. Moses was given the Ten Commandments, but he was also given 613 ceremonial laws and the instructions on how to build a tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the way or the things that they were to use for their worship service. 
Now we today, as Christians, we don't have that stuff. We don't need all the trappings of all that. We can meet wherever we want. We can meet under your house. And we have God's word and we read it and we we understand God's word and we learn that way. Well, the Israelites were learning God's word, but they had pieces of furniture that were part of their annual worship. They had a schedule of worship. But this was the most important piece of all the furniture that God gave Moses to build. Now, The history of that, it's built in the time of Moses. That's 1,500 years before Jesus. And Jesus is 2,000 years before us. So 3,500 years ago, they built that. It was made out of a a type of wood that they found in the desert there. It was a very strong wood. You would think of maybe something we would use for our house posts. And then it was covered with gold. Being covered with gold, it it showed its preciousness. Now, in its history... It traveled with the Israelites all throughout the wilderness 40 years. Today we're going to talk about what happened to it in an interim. But then then Solomon, David's son, will build a temple. And this ark will go into that temple and it will never be moved again. Well, it won't be moved again until the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. History tells us this this would be around 600 B.C., 2,600 years old. This thing is 900 years old when the temple is destroyed. Nobody knows where it went. There's speculation of places it's hidden. There's speculation that it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Nobody knows where the ark is. So any, any stories you go look up on YouTube about where the ark is, yeah, they don't know. But actually, I'm letting all of you, including you people watching on video, know. I know where the ark is. I have it. So you can see the Ark. You can see the Ark of the Covenant. Look at that. Same as the photo, right? Actually, this is not life-size. If you want to know what the Ark looks like life-size, actually use that monitor as a scale. From bottom to top, end to end, it's about that big. So picture a box this high, this long, with these cherubim on top, the angels on top of it. There is enough gold in this to finance all of our salaries for the rest of our lives. It's not, this top is made out of gold, entirely gold, one piece. The rest of the box is made out of wood covered with gold. And today we're going to just talk about spiritual shortcuts, but this ark plays a big part in that, in the story of it. As, as Isaac just read for us in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, forget my mistake of putting 1 Samuel, the, the Ark of the Covenant is now in a place called Baali Gibeah, near, near a place called Kiryat Yarim in Israel. It's in a place that for 20 years, the scripture tells us, 20 years, Israel has not utilized this Ark the way the law told them to do it. This ark is supposed to be uh, moved toward every year by the high priest with the offering on the day of atonement, and he's supposed to sprinkle the blood on it. For 20 years, they have not worshipped God the way God said they were supposed to worship. David has just become the king of unified Israel in our story. He's just become king of the whole nation. At the same time, David's men have just conquered Jerusalem which, as you know today, is the dearest city to all Jewish people all over the world. 
This is the beginning of Jerusalem. David is moving into Jerusalem. They're beginning to build up Jerusalem. And David says, do you know what? This doesn't need to be in an obscure place out in Gibeah. This needs to be in Jerusalem. And David builds a brand new tent to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Now, the interesting thing is this thing at at the time of David, it's 400 years old. You got anything in your house 400 years old? Believe it or not, I have several things at my house that are 400 years old, and I'm not one of them. I have, I have several scripture pages, some of you have been in the class that I taught here on it, that are over 400 years old. And something that old is pretty fragile, it's pretty brittle, and you want to take very good care of it. Well, this isn't the only thing that's 400 years old. The tabernacle is 400 years old, that tent. And David's like, I want to build a new one. I don't want to change our worship. I just want to bring it to Jerusalem. And it's God doesn't stop him. God doesn't say, no, don't do that. So let's come to the story today and let's talk about this here. I want to give you first some observations and then I'll come back and I'll give us some applications because there are four groups involved here. First of all, I want you to notice David, verses 1 to 3. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. The indication of chosen men would mean the men that are warriors. Now, 30,000 people. That's Sir John Guy Stadium pretty full. 30,000 people to come to witness bringing this ark from Kiryat Yarim to Jerusalem. It's quite a journey. But he's not, it's not just a few men and they're cheering. Think of the, the, the funeral procession for our late grand chief how people lined the highways, how people were waiting at the airports, how people came to the stadiums, right? They, we, we honored him that way. Think of that kind of a crowd just to move this box, this box that's dear to God and dear to his people. So David arose, verse 2, and went with all the people that were with him. So these 30,000 people follow David, and they, they go to bring the ark of God, notice it says, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwells between the cherubims. This was called the mercy seat. And it it was the place that God said he would meet with the high priest every year as the high priest sprinkled blood there. And Israel would refer to this as the place where God met with them. And he would say between the cherubims. That's what it means between them. That was of the ark. This was the holiest spot on the ark. So that's why that terminology. But verse 3, this is where everything starts to go the wrong way. They set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. Now, this ark had been at Abinadab's house for 20 years. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. David here, I want you to notice, David was copying Philistine methods to move the ark. You're like, wait a minute, you lost me. Okay, who knows who the Philistines are? I bet you know the biggest Philistine. Everybody knows the biggest Philistine. His name is not Meshach, Bala. It's Goliath. Goliath of Gath. He's a Philistine. They are the the perennial enemies of Israel, the Philistines. But long before David fought Goliath, the Philistines continually attacked Israel. And in one of those times when the Philistines attacked Israel, Israel thought, hey, we got an idea. We're going to beat them, but to beat them, let's go inside the tabernacle, get this thing that nobody's ever supposed to touch or see. Let's bring it out and let's take it to the battle so we can win. Now, their idea was thinking, you remember when Joshua beat Jericho? 
the priests took that first and they went around and the people followed it. So if, the, if that's how you could win Jericho, then we can beat the Philistines by doing this. One problem, God didn't tell them to do it. God didn't say, hey, get the ark, go out there, beat the Philistines. But the people were like, let's get the ark, let's go. And I'm going to come back to that later about how they felt about the ark. But as they go out, here's what God said. Guys, I did not tell you to do this. And God just took his hands off the whole thing and let the Philistines capture that. Now, that is the dearest thing to the nation, and the Philistines stole it. Now, the Philistines stole it, and it's a message all by itself. Suffice it to say, they kept it for only five months. And it killed so many people, and it made so many people sick. It made COVID-19 look like the sniffles. It was horrible. And they were like, we got to get rid of this thing. And everybody's like, I'm not touching it. And so some of their guys came up with an idea. And this, I'm going to quote this, and this is from actually from 1 Samuel chapter 6. They said, let us make a new, therefore make a new cart and take two milk kind, two milk cows and on which there's never been a yoke. And let's tie the kind, the cows to the cart. Let's take their calves away from them and take the ark and put it on the cart. And then we're going to put these offerings along with it and we're going to send it. He said, we're going to send it away and see where it goes. And the Philistines were thinking, if this is the God of Israel who dwells between the cherubims, who's making us sick, who's killing us. Then two milk cows, it'll be a miracle that they'll pull this thing in the same direction because milk cows are not trained to pull carts. And they're milk cows, he's using the term, these are cows that are giving susu to their babies, they don't want to leave their babies. He said, we're going to take their calves away from them, and if this really is their God doing this, he will make those two mama cows forget about their babies and pull it back to Israel. Guess what? Those mama cows, it says the cows lowed, they cried. They didn't want to leave their babies, but impelled by God, they pulled that cart from the Philistine territory to the Israelites' territory. And the Israelites got the ark back, put it at the house of Abinadab 20 years. That's where it stayed. David wants to move it. The last time it was moved, it was moved by a cart. So David said, let's do this. But the problem was he was using the wrong method of moving it. Which brings me to the next point. The Levites, the Kohathites, the people who were supposed to move the ark. Look at verse 3 and 4. They set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. He was a Levite. He was of the priestly line of people. And it says, Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. So the two sons of Abinadab probably have been taking care of this thing most of the last 20 years. Now, don't think of it as your house. Like, oh, get a family blue, Tom blue, uncle blue, family blue. No, no, think of this as they brought it to Abinadab and whatever dwelling he had, they built a place for this and it was like security. Like, you stay away. Don't you come near this. This is our holiest relic. Now, why they didn't put it in the tabernacle, I have no idea. But get this. People who follow God make big mistakes sometimes when they don't do what God says. Abinadab's family should know how we're supposed to move this. Let me, let me give you a, a verse. I'm actually going to put it on the screen for you. There was a verse in the law that said how to move it. 
this is Numbers chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. It said, And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. This is Moses 400 years before. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the family of Gershon for their service. Four wagons, eight oxen he gave to the family of Merari for their service. And according to their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, their job was to move the, the Ark of the Covenant, the altar, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and that beautiful candelabra, the beautiful menorah candle, they were supposed to carry those, not put them on carts. The skins, the outside, the fence, all the big, you could call them bricks, made out of silver that held the posts to hold the whole thing up. All that could go on carts. But these holy things that were used for worship were to be carried by this family of the Levites. And so to the sons of Kohath gave he none because the service of the sanctuary belonging to them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. It's not missing a word. They were to bear the service, not it, but bear the service. That was what they were supposed to do. Now, Moses had written this. Moses wrote this down. We are 400 years later. Have they forgotten what the law said to do to move this thing? You know, we think we're the only generation in the history of the world that ever forgot to read our Bible. These guys have gone 20 years without worshiping God the way he told them in the law. And by the way, they don't have Psalms. They don't have Proverbs. All that stuff is being written as they are alive. They're basically focused on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and even only having five books that they're supposed to be reading. They're not reading them. And so the men who are supposed to know what to do, the men who are supposed to be focused... They're not doing what they're supposed to do. That is something to think about. But it's not just David's fault, and it's not just the Levite's fault. I want you to come to Uzzah, verse 6. They've loaded it. It's on the cart. They're pulling it. And this time, they're not pulling it with milk cows. They're pulling it with oxen who are used to pulling a cart. So these oxen know what they're doing. They could go by themselves, autopilot. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor... Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Now, a threshing floor, it's an interesting place they'd have a problem there. A threshing floor is the place where you would bring all of your your grain. You've gone to the field, the wheat is grown, the barley is grown, and you've cut it all down and tied it together in big bundles, sheaves. When you come to the threshing floor, that's where you begin to pound it out, or that's where you throw it down and you let the oxen drag things, stones over it, to make the grains of wheat come out of their shells and then you gather that and then you take it and grind it and we make flame flour this is the place for that the threshing floor is usually a very level place so maybe as they got there a heel who's in front of the cart is uh, the threshing floor no problem we should do okay Uzzah who's walking beside the cart no idea no thought to touch it just walking beside it ceremoniously. Because know this, these guys aren't walking down the road, caca boy. Hey, look at Mark, come yeah. They're not doing that. This is ser- There's 30,000 soldiers along with this thing. This is very ceremonial. But as it's coming and it gets to the threshing floor, nobody sees this coming, the, the oxen trip. It said they stumbled. It didn't say the ark shook. It said the ox tripped. Um, anybody ever been around an ox? They're big, really big. 
like 2,000 uh, 2, pounds big, like 1,000 kilos big. And when that big boy falls over, it is not good. And he's walking up there like he's never walked before. And the oxen stumbled. Well, when they did, they're attached to the cart. And the cart went back and forth. And Uzzah's first thought is the ark. It's going to fall. Because, see, they didn't get tie-down straps. They should have done that. Should have got a ratchet, some chain blocks. No. It's just sitting on the cart. And Uzzah's first thought is, it's going to fall. His first thought should have been, that's the ark. That is the holiest thing in Israel. We're not supposed to play with it. But Uzzah puts his hand out to steady it, to keep it from falling. And verse 7 the anger of the Lord was kindled, not against the oxen, not against the heel, not against the Benadab, not against David, but straight on Uzzah. His anger, God's anger is kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Like the ark never fell, he just dropped dead. You're like, whoa, this is hard. Nice Christmas story. Uzzah has spent his whole life with the ark. His whole life. Did Uzzah get too familiar with the ark? How many things in our lives that we, we're involved in, we see, we, they're, they're part of our lives, and we take them for granted? Most of you live on or near the sea. Is it pretty? Are the sunsets beautiful here in Port Moresby? Have you ever not noticed a sunset in Port Moresby because we live here? Here in this beautiful part of central sunsets? Let someone come who never sees sunsets like our friends from Kunai because they're deep in a valley. They don't see beautiful sunsets. Can't see them. They come here. When we rock a sunset here, I know what they'll be doing. They'll be going, wow, that is so beautiful. But the same thing, if I could put you on a plane and fly you to Kunai, and you see these five, six, seven thousand foot mountains that are close to, close to, and feel the cool breeze, and there's no Highlands Highway, there's no noise. The, the, uh, the, the, the kumul is in the mornings and the afternoons, you hear the kumul singing in the trees. And you're just like, wow, this place is beautiful. Whereas they wake up every morning at Kunai and think, oh, another day to work. You see, we get, when we're around something for a long time, we lose our awe of the thing. Most of Israel would say, that's the ark? Uzzah, are you serious? Like, you get to stay near the ark? Oh, yeah, every day I have to go in and sweep around there. And nobody's allowed in, but I, I go in and I sweep around the ark and just make sure everything's set there just fine. And they're like, wow, but he's lost his wow of the ark. Because his first thought is, it's just like anything else. Can't let it fall on the ground. Just like cargo you strapped on the back of your ute and it started to fall. Whoop, catch it. Thanks, bro. Not here. Uzzah had, had become too familiar with the ark. Theologian named R.C. Sproul said, Uzzah, in his mind, thought that his hand was cleaner than the ground on which it would fall. And it wasn't. But it isn't just David, and it's not just the Levites, not just Uzzah. It's the whole country. It's Israel. I want you to see Israel. Back to verse 5. It said, David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments. And it lists all these instruments, psalteries and cymbals and whatever. Hey, music in Uisi. Pyra, pyra. They are dancing. They are dancing in the street. We are moving the ark. We're doing it the wrong way, but bless God, we're going to do it with music. 
Nobody's thinking we are doing this wrong. Nobody has asked God, how are we supposed to do this? Nobody searched the scriptures to see how we should do this. The answers were there. They were more interested in cheering. Here's part of what I think. Israel was more focused on the ark of God than on the God of the ark. I know they were. Because if you go back 20 years before, when they said, hey, let's take the ark out to battle, this is the quote, 1 Samuel 4, 3. I don't have it, you just listen to it. When the people were coming to the camp, the elders of, the Israel, of Israel said, wherefore is the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? We, we lost this battle today. What are we going to do tomorrow? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from our enemies. Are you serious? Are you serious? This thing is going to keep, this is going to keep the Philistines away? Like what is it, what are they, like Count Dracula and you're just going to put a wooden cross like they're all going to back off? Like it's, a, you know, you get a werewolf and you put some wolfbane around your neck and it keeps, I mean, they're viewing this thing as a talisman. They're, this will, this, this will, oh, and this comes into the camp. This, Hey, but Joshua, when he marched around Jericho, this went first. Mm-hmm. It went first. And, that, and this was what won? No, it was God. They were focused more on the ark of God than on the God of the ark. Now, you know, Israel always had a problem with idolatry. Always. If you read the Old Testament, and you should, and hey, New Year is coming up. Let's kick off. Let's get in the word. But you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see that word idolatry over and over. And God's other word for it, he uses the word adultery, which is a, a, a man and woman who aren't married getting together. And he says, Israel, your idolatry is adultery. I am your husband. You keep going after all these false gods. This is so bad that something from God became a false god in their hearts. If you ask them, oh, no, 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 it's not a false god. Really? It will save me? There were a lot of reasons that this happened that day. I want to make some applications and we'll call it. Like Israel, we sometimes do the same thing. We make our idea of God into an idol. What we think God is like. Because we always make God into something that's like us. You know, God said, let us create man in our image. And you know what man does? Let us make God in my image. Well, I think God is like this. I I don't think God would ever judge people for their sin. I definitely don't think he would put them in hell. I think God loves everybody, and therefore there's really not any aspect of sin that could cause God to judge people. Don't be so judgmental. I think, and every one of the I thinks dies with you. When we put you in the coffin box, your ideas go with you. I've been around long enough. I have seen a lot of ideas go in coffin boxes. People that said to me, said to my pastor when I was with him, I, I, I don't think it works that way. I think it's this. And my pastor, which I've probably told you before, Danny, was Danny Brooks' grandfather. He would say, when you get your Bible printed, would you give me a copy, please? Because the Bible that I read doesn't say that. The Israelites make their idea of God into an idol. I think we do the same thing. Some of you know that I'm involved um, in Bible translation, a couple of Bible translation projects that we're doing. One of the things, one of the fears that I have in Bible translation is that when the Kamea translation is in place and the people can hear the word, that they're going to do the same thing as many, many people groups around the world have done. Huge dancing party when the word is brought in and dedicated. 
They huge. Everybody, all the dancers show up. Everybody comes. I'll put them on tumbuna clothes, and they're there. And you've got two thousand, three thousand people. Donnie's Donnie's, and everybody wants to hold a copy. And I, I've seen the videos. They're dancing around, and they've got that Bible in the air. And and three weeks later, you can't find one of them even thinking about reading the word or hearing it. They've got a copy of the word in their talk place, but they don't read it. That's what we know down him all, because we have a copy of God's word in our talk place. And are we reading it? Or is it just something that we have lucky? Oh, no, I have a Bible in my house. Hey, listen, they had the ark, and the very ark that they, that they made such a big deal about killed one of them. It's not the message for today, but I want you to know when that ark, when he died, who's the next guy who's going to move it? Do you imagine the fear that was on everybody else? They're like, uh, what are we going to do with it? Like the whole parade stopped, 30,000 of the bravest men in Israel are all looking at each other like, I'm not touching it. David, where do you want to put it? David's crying. Why is he dead? What? What? You see, it wasn't God's fault. It's just that people had had their own idea of God. Like Uzzah, like Uzzah, we do become too familiar with the things of God. We lose our awe of God. We lose the wow. As I said, those who live in the mountains take the mountains for granted. Those who live on the shore take the sea for granted. Any particular thing in our lives that we have too much of, we take it for granted. We lose our awe and our wow. And, And Uzzah had become familiar with the ark. His friends might come to the house and say, can I peek in the door? Can I look at the ark? And I don't know whether he let them do that or not, but I know this. He's like, it's no big deal. It's just the ark. And they're like, no, it is the ark. Like my daddy has told me stories from the scriptures about the ark of God. Can I see it? And Uzzah's like, it's no big deal. It's just, it's a box with gold on it. Yeah, it's special, but you know. Because remember, it's sitting in his house, not in the tabernacle where it should be, where worship should be taking place. Where God's people should be following, no, they, it was there. We do the same thing. We lose our odd. We know God, but do we know God? Do we strive to know God? David, beautiful psalm that he wrote. I think he wrote the one we sang this morning as well as a deer for the sons of Korah. But one of the psalms that gets me, especially in the mornings when I walk my dog out here in the early morning, is when I consider the heavens, this is Psalm 8, And the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man? That you're mindful of him. You're a a universe creating God. You're a galaxy spinning God. You're a planet planting God. And a people growing God. And trees and ground. You You are that kind of a God. And I don't want to lose my awe of you. But boy do I. The burdens of the day come along, the, the, the tests, the trials, or just the general thing. I'm privileged to lead Baptist Bible Institute of Port Moresby, to spend days in the Word, to teach for hours every week from the Word. I cannot, though, I cannot allow God to take away my awe. And I'm handling it, not like, okay, yeah, got to get to class so I can hurry up and get done. And get, I can't lose that because if I lose that, then, then I'm like those people that they described when they heard Jesus teach. They said he did not teach like the scribes. He taught with authority. You know what the scribes did? And let it be when the, thou hearest the sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees. that thou, When they read it, everybody was like, yeah, it's the Bible, but man, that is boring. When Jesus read it, it had life. Do we lose that? I think of 
Three of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament are about God and his awe. They're Isaiah 43, 44, and 45. And he, and he says this repeatedly. I, even I, am the Lord. You know, this, this, is, like, this is like a foot stomping. Like, get, look here. I, even I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. <laughs> the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am first and I am last. John picks up that refrain in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. When you meet God, you know that he's everything. He's the start, he's the finish, and therefore he must be everything in between. Do you start your day with him? Do you finish your day with him? This is what I'm talking about. We take spiritual shortcuts and we don't do that. We don't enjoy him for who he is. He just becomes an ark that's been sitting in our house for 20 years. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. That they may know from the rising of the sun to the going down in the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. You know, when Isaiah heard those words, this is, this is a long time after he heard, he saw God in the temple. But it's near the end of his prophetic ministry. And this is being hammered home by none other than God himself. Isaiah, grab this. I am the Lord. He's not even just saying, I am God. I am Elohim. But he's saying, I am the Lord. Yahweh. Adonai. I am the name. And when we lose that awe of who he is, backsliding starts, difficulties in keeping our focus start. And you say, how do you do this? You've got to remind yourself. Every day Abinadab went in there, he should have stopped and said, God, help me to remember, this is the holiest item to the nation of Israel. Help me to remember that this is called your mercy seat, the place of your dwelling. Help me to remember that today. Even as I take out this little coconut brush and brush the dust off. Even as I stand here in this very room, God, help me to remember what a privilege it is to even be near this. Except we don't need these. You don't have to have one of these at the house. You don't need that. God dwells in your heart. If you're a believer, he's there. Shall... The one who created the heavens dwell in man? (laughs) Yes, he shall. But don't let that fool you. Don't be like Uzzah. This God, the Red Sea parting God, a global flood God, a Sodom destroying God, is also a Paul forgiving God for all his sins. Peter forgiving God for all his sins. He's a gospel-spreading God. He is a martyr-sustaining God for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering right now. He is their God. Should He be any less for us who dwell and worship in freedom? He is your God. He's your Father. He's your hope. He's your help. He's your Redeemer. He is your King. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. Or you're in danger like us of taking God for granted. Like the Levites, we've seen David's failure and or Israel's failure and Uzzah's failure but like the Levites we too look for shortcuts I'm just going to speak of things that I have problems with do you ever get tired of reading your Bible do you ever think I don't have enough time to read today did you ever think I don't have enough time to pray today I know I should pray I should be praying for my wife and I should be praying for my children I should be praying for pastor and I should be praying for the ministry I should be praying for our city I should be praying for our nation I should be praying for our mission works. I should be praying for, I should, but I just don't, I, I just don't have time. And so we look for shortcuts. And we wind up with, God bless all my friends and bless everyone today. 
Thank you, God. Amen. Are you taking shortcuts? It happens. Oh, there's once in a while where life is an emergency. You get up, you slept in late, or something happened. You've got to go. But make sure as you begin to think, Lord, don't let me do this tomorrow. Don't let me do this this afternoon. When I have time, remind me, rather than pouring myself into that video for three hours, let, let me stop and spend some time with you first. Because the world is going to be relentless. It is going to keep coming at you and keep coming at you and keep coming at you and keep coming at you. If those Levites had read the word and knew they were supposed to carry it, Uzzah would have actually had his hands on the ark, on those poles. He would have been carrying the ark. He would have been touching the ark, but in the proper way. Years ago, an old preacher said this. Those Kohathites, the family of Kohath, of the family of Levi... They carried the burden, but get this, they touched the gold. They carried the burden, but they touched the gold. If you just let God be God, if you just spend time with him and not settle for shortcuts, guess what? You can let God be God. You will touch the gold. Not physical gold that would would destroy, as Jesus said, but you will touch the things that are eternal and true and things that are going to last. Because that's what we have to remember. This is our eternal God. And an eternal God lets temporal people not only touch him, but touch his heart. So that he touches our hearts. We don't want to be like the Levites. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You have no victory in your Christian life today because not only are you out of the word where you would have faith, you're not walking in the light where God can go ahead and judge that sin that's in your life, show you, place clear that I do have an issue here that I need to deal with spiritually. Because God wants to do that. He wants to transform our lives. If you're not born again, listen to me. You have no hope. You're worse shaped than Uzzah. You have the eternal God and he is on the opposite side. He's not your God. Your God is your father, the devil, Jesus' words. No. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. This this is a throne of grace to come to. Come to God. We come to him. We don't need shortcuts. We need confession. We need to spend that time. Today, you guys, those of you that are here and those of you that are watching that should be here, this is a place where you grow. This is a place where you fellowship. COVID restrictions are not going to last forever. In my heart, I believe we're going to see an ending coming to this. And, and, and I don't mean long term, and I'm not just flakily throwing out. I think it's coming. And when it's coming, two things we need. One, we need to be together. The hug that you have missed from all your brothers, we just need to hug each other until we're tired of hugging. I don't think I'm going to get tired very quickly. You're not going to get so tired of getting rid of that mask. We'll have a mask burning or something. But where, you, where, where this thing is over, it's not just the able to fellowship together, to be together, but to worship together. Brother Eric, I, I hope you pick some great songs and we will sing. And I don't, it's up to you and pastor, but I'm like, sing. Let's just sing. Sing, 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 sing. Because we, this is our God. And he is worthy of our praise. But it isn't going to just be coming back together so we can enjoy one another because, man, we should do that. But we need to be ready like, like, like an arrow in a bow. And we should have this, the, the string should be just so tight that our guys use mambu to shoot it with. That mambu should be just so tight that when this thing is over, 
We're not just going to Anita. We're going to Cupiano. We're going, we're, we're going places where, where we, need, we need preaching again, where we need to get the gospel out. Why? Because this is our God. He's worthy of it all. So consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. Get up. Get in the word. Get up. Get together with God's people. Because this isn't going to last forever. And even now, we've got the liberty to be. Be together. Be together. Don't look for shortcuts. And finally, here's what we do. We're like David. See, the whole thing started with David. He had a good idea. Let's bring this Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Did you know that was God's goal? That was where it was supposed to wind up, in Jerusalem. But David forgot that he didn't just have to worship in spirit. He had to worship in truth. Remember verse 5? Israel was, was dancing. They're singing. They're making all this noise about it. Everything was all spirit. Everything was all happy, happy. Everything was all joy, joy. Everything was all sing, sing. But David had forgot to check the truth. And too many times, one of our shortcuts is it's easier to turn on that radio program, that YouTube video, or whatever, and just listen to whatever this thing is they're saying. The doctrine may be way off, but wow, I really like their music. In fact, I really like that song. Theologically, it's a horrible song. But man, me, so I like him music blown in. I mean, we have to worship in spirit and in truth we don't want to use the world's methods the world's methods wear out the world's methods are not God's methods his ways aren't our ways and we got to do his ways and the only way you're going to know his ways is from the scripture I remember as a pastor we had had real growth for about two years solid growth conversion growth people joining the church it was doing really good and then we went flat absolutely flat and I would get bombarded that we got mail there every day and I got bombarded in the mail with all kinds of stuff trying to get your church if your church does this your church will grow and I'd get all these you know I do I just rip them in half without opening them and throw them in the rubbish because they had all these worldly methods but I remember opening one because it looked like it had a biblical premise and I remember and I couldn't throw it away and I remember just thinking maybe I should do this maybe I should try this thing maybe I should do this and I didn't have peace in my heart, but I'm like, God, you got to do something. I want to see people get saved. I, I, I want people to join. I want our Christians to grow here at our church. God, I, I really need this. But there was no peace in my heart. And then a brother who I had never met before came, and he asked my secretary, can I, can I see pastor? And I was like, yeah, I've, I've heard of this brother. I always wanted to meet him. So he came in. He was a missionary to China. And he came in, and he sat down with me, and we talked a little bit about China, and it turned out we knew some mutual people But as he talked about how God is God, and when God moves, God can do things you can't imagine. And he said, it isn't just in China, it's in America. He's God. And and he he said this, too many preachers are trying to figure out worldly ways to bring God into the church. More music, different kinds of worship. And he goes, what they really need is just God. Just get along with God. He left about five minutes later, I think, shook his hand, maybe gave him a hug. He left. I just closed my office door and laid flat on my face on the floor. And I said, God, forgive me. Forgive me for even entertaining the idea that I'm going to try some worldly ideas to make your church grow. I need you. I need you to do this, but I need you to do it so that the people see it. And however it turns out, that's up to you. 
I got up from that prayer and I ripped that thing up and never looked at one of those things again in my life. If you don't do it, God, it doesn't need to be done. And if I'm doing something wrong, please help me to do it. We need to worship God in spirit, but we need to worship him in truth. Truth without spirit, by the way, is dead. You can't just mechanically teach and preach. There's got to be some life to it. You can't just mechanically share the word. There's got to be life to it. David, three months later, his heart right. They had searched the scriptures. They were ready. David, the Levites, the, the Kohathites, the Israel, they did it right. Three months later, they took that ark out of the place where they stored it, a man's house named Obed-Edom, another Levite. They took it out of his house. No cart this time. They picked it up and they shouldered it. And it says they went six steps Now, can you see this? The first guys that are holding it, they're walking. David's in front. The music is starting, but everybody's looking at the four men carrying it. They made it six steps, the scripture says, and David stopped. Can you imagine those guys? They were like, what, 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 what? Put put, put, put it down. David's like, no, no, no. We've done it right. God's pleased. And they began to rejoice. They actually offered sacrifices right there in the path. Because they were doing it right and the blessing of God was on them and they knew the presence of God was there. Listen, when you're doing it right, you will know it's right. And God will encourage you. Christian, you're here today. Some of you should be here. Can I say this? Let's do this now. Some of you are going to the village for the holidays. Enjoy yourselves. Have a wonderful time. But when you're there, worship God. If there's no church in the village, have people come together with you. You do not take a holiday from God. One holiday from God will have you put your hand on the ark when you don't think about it. Worship with your family. Say, look, we don't have a church here we can worship at. Come over to the house. We're going to sing some Christmas songs, and we're just going to talk about Jesus. Maybe share some tests. Just do something. Worship God. Worship God. Don't take a holiday from God. And New Year coming, when you're back, let's kick this thing off. Pastor will be back. Let's pray there's no quarantine. He's already, he's all ready to come back, be here in January. And let's make 2022. I think it'll be a great year that we cannot, we can't even imagine. But it's going to be God, not the building, not the pastor. It's going to be God who makes it what it is. Let's bow for prayer. Before I pray this morning, is your relationship to God what it should be? Is your relationship to God what it should be? As I pray this morning, I want you to pray yourself and say, God, I want you to help me not to make spiritual shortcuts in my life. God, there's some things this morning you spoke to me about. I want, I want my life to be right. And you pray to God and make it between you and God. If there's somebody here who wants to trust Christ today or you want someone to talk with you about the word, please, please feel free to find one of me or Brother Eric, one of the men, and we could sit down and talk with you. God, You are our God. You're worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Today, as we have read your word and we've considered these things, I I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts, even right now, Lord, to put off the old, not just the old because it's the end of a year, but put off the old things that have weighed us down, to lay aside every weight and to lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. And Lord, not waiting for January 1st, but now running with patience the race that is set before us and not taking any shortcuts in the race. 
Give us to prayer, God. Give us to read your word. Give us to fellowship together here and outside in places where we live. Lord, more than anything, we want you to know we love you and we thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you for sending your Son, the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, God Most High, dwelling among us, Emmanuel. Lord, work in all of our hearts, even as we go to life groups this morning. And I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for these who are here. In Jesus' name, amen.